As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Soccer Show and a very special edition of the show, our end of European season awards. Woo, fanfare. We'll be looking back at the best games, best goals, signings, the flops, and a lot of other stuff you've forgotten already from this season. The TSS awards are a little bit different to the standard fare. There's going to be no 30-minute musical performance and interpretive dance before we get to the ceremony. No presenters will be slapped in the face, I don't think. And Robert Lewandowski will not be intentionally ignored today, I don't think either. We'll have to check on that. My name is Ryan Bailey. Joining me today is a man who's dressed up beautifully for the awards in his finest suit, the one he's wearing in his LinkedIn profile, Taylor Rockwell. Hello. Oh no, I've gone full tux this time. I've got a top hat, I've got a monocle, there's a cane, there are spats. I don't know what spats are, but I'm wearing them. I'm very excited. Unfortunately, I got the wrong memo. I thought this was our MLS Week 14 uh, (laughs) mid-season review, so all of my awards are for MLS players so far, but I'll try to pivot on the fly. Well, for some people in MLS, the season ended in Week 14. (laughs) But enough about your former employers? (laughs) Indeed! But uh, Taylor, um, I I love the tux, it looks great, but did you have to Donald Duck it? Why didn't you put anything on below your waist? Well, I didn't think the camera would go that low. Oh. Like, I thought I would just be covered uh, Zoom style during the pandemic. But no, apparently we've got new technology that shows everything. So, okay. gentlemen, I hope you like my Donald Duck boxers, because uh, that's what we're going with here. Well, I'm not not enjoying it. <laughs> and on I that just, note. I felt like we were like a moment away from a visit to Total Soccer Show HR. So, uh, yeah, let's keep it moving. Let's keep it moving. I, I keep them on speed dial for occasions like this, Taylor. That's fair. Uh, also joining us, a man who once again wins our award for the best host named Joe Lowry. Hello, Joe Lowry. I am honored. I would like to thank so many people for this award, um, starting with you, Ryan, for making it up and giving it to me in the first place. Oh, hang Actually, on, Joe, Joe, wait. No, it went to the other Joe Lowry, the one with the blue uh, check on Twitter. Sorry, it's not well, you. This is, this is awkward for everybody. Um, to, to pivot us away from this awkwardness, listeners, I just want you to know that that interchange between Taylor and Ryan was not nearly the most awkward or TSSHR <laughs> back and forth we've had today. The first one just wasn't recorded. So you can just sort of wonder and imagine what that might be. Oh, boy. Peeling back the onion, huh, Joe? You know, so, Joe, this is the it. reason why you didn't win the best Joe award. This, this is it right here. Just would the, uh, would the other Joe be known. Other Joe wouldn't do that. I was going to say other Joe would have played it cool, huh? Dang it. Of course. Maybe next year. Maybe As you can hear, year. listener, um, European season's over. Things are loose around here. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, pretty much. Oh. Yeah, indeed. Long may it continue, Jets. Well, we're going to talk through our awards and our categories very shortly, but I thought to sort of get us off on the right foot, if indeed we haven't done that already, some quiz questions for you, Joe and Taylor. How do you feel about that prospect, Taylor? You want to do some quiz questions? Not great. Let's do it. Hey! <laughs> the opportunity to be caught out on a recording. Oh, yeah. The, Sounds the, good. I got to say... Doing these end-of-season like review shows is always interesting for how little information I am capable of retaining anymore. So games that I thought happened like seven months ago happened maybe a month ago. So this should be great. I should bat a 1,000 on this one. Yeah, I, this is always the time of year when I find out, oh, my God, that seemed like it was six years ago, and right. it was September. Yeah. Okay, so um, on that note... 
question for you both. We, uh, this is a Premier League question. We, uh, and by the way, I'll say I've sourced these questions from end of season quizzes on 442 and The Guardian because I'm too lazy to write my own. Uh, which of the teams that finished in the top four did not beat any of the other teams that finished in the top four? So there's one team in the top four that didn't beat any other top four teams this season. Can you name that team? I Chelsea? I, yeah, I was going to say Chelsea too. Darn it, Taylor. I should have just said. <laughs> I think the answer is Chelsea, though, for real, because City and Liverpool won everything, basically, and Tottenham got a result against one of those two teams, I and think maybe they beat Chelsea City as well. Both times. Yeah. yeah. Liverpool drew all six of their games oh. against Man City, oh. Chelsea, and Tottenham. We're off to a flying start. I was well, so at least Joe and I too. built consensus on that. Yeah, we were, we were wrong together, Taylor, and I appreciate right. that. Okay, but I've got a, 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 wait, Ryan, one. before we move on, should we do? Should there be a buzzer situation? Should we ring in, or is it just yeah. whoever blurts out we their should, We should buzz. Just yell buzz. Okay. Oh, buzz. Wait, maybe you should yell a different thing so I know who's who. I'll yell buzz, and Taylor will yell buzz, but we sound different, so you'll be able to tell. Got it. I'll get it. I'll yell accent. zub, <laughs> and Joe can say buzz. Okay, okay. excellent, excellent. Mm-hmm. Question two, which club's fans left graffiti outside the training ground, roughly translating as you're an S-word hunchback after their star player left them in January? This is a continental question. Any buzzers? Uh, player who left the team in January. Zab. Uh, I believe that's Taylor. <laughs> Fiorentina? Ding, 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 ding. Oh, hey. nice. Nice. Name the player. Uh, Vlaovic? Yeah, you just about named him. Do some Vlaovic. Very good. (laughs) (laughs) It's confusing. Is it Vlahovic? Is it Vlaovic? It it depends on how quickly you say it and which accent you're saying it with, I think. I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, I think you can go like two syllables, Vlaovic, if you say it quick enough. Yeah, that seems to be the consensus, yeah. Indeed. Good job, T-Rock. Question three, easy one. Who won the Turkish Turkish Super League? Zab. Trabzonspor. Unfair. Uh, the answer is not Zub Transonspor, it's Transonspor. Taylor ah. lives in Turkey. I moved to throw the question out. Unfair. <laughs> well, I just remember because they had like the full city rave That's that right. was slightly out of some dystopian movie, but I guess if you're having a giant party, it's not that dystopian. The Matrix. It was like the party in the Matrix, basically. Guys, Indeed. I'm I'm bad at this. Let's let's keep going. Do <laughs> hey, another one. I'm gonna get this one. It's okay, we've got a couple more for you, Joe. Here we go. Which team lost games? This is a Premier League question. Which team lost games 3-0, 4-0, 5-1, 6-0, and 7-0, but still stayed up? Buzz. Southampton. Southampton do traditionally lose a game 7-0 or 7-1 each season, Joe. That is not the answer. Would you like another guess? Buzz again. Leeds United. Leeds United! Uh, I should have guessed that one the first time. I overthought it. I overthought it. Leeds lost four games by a 3-0 scoreline this season and a 4 uh, and uh, sorry by a 3-0 scoreline and a 4-0 a 5-1 a 6-0 and a 7-0 but ah. they still gone done stayed up. How about that? Southampton lost 6-0 to Chelsea about a month and a half ago, which is yeah. I think maybe why that was in my head. Either way, first answer was still embarrassing. I moved to throw that one out too. All right, one more question for y'all before we get to our awards. Which African player announced his early retirement from international duties this season after he wasn't called up by his country for the Africa Cup of Nations? Buzz, Hakim Ziyech. Joe, you've come right back in this game. Oh, Last yeah. two correct. Well done, bud. Good one. Whew. All right, this is fun. I like this now. We're good. We can do and it again. it's over. Ah. Yeah, it fin- <laughs> I think it finishes on a draw, though. 2-2. Two, two. There you go. Good work. Go. Well done, gents. Well done. Very good. A 2-2-1 two, two, record, do we call that? Something yeah, like well, that. except that I think, Ryan, you I think you docked me points for saying Zab Trabzonspor, <laughs> so maybe I only get a half point. So Joe wins two to one well, and a half points. Well, Taylor, I should only get a half point because I actually got the first one wrong for my Southampton Leeds debacle of about three minutes ago, so I think we I tied. Just, up until the 7-0, I was assuming it was a Manchester United shot and was refusing to answer, <laughs> and so I kind of switched my brain off and then realized it wasn't, but couldn't come back in time. That's fair. All right. Enough giving each other the lead in the game. Let's move on to the awards themselves. We'll start off. Why don't we start off with the Showpiece Award, Total Soccer Show's Player of the Year. Gentlemen, I'm going to start the bidding with Karim Benzema. Correct. (laughs) Did I get it right? (laughs) You did. 27 league goals, 15 Champions League goals. Gondon won the league. Gondon won the Champions League. Doesn't get much better, does it, Joe? No, that's that is the right answer to this question. He he didn't have the most goals in Europe's top five leagues, but when you factor in the fact that he was third in that ranking across Italy, England, Spain, Germany, and shoot, who's the fourth one? France. Ha, got it. Uh, I can count major con- major countries in Europe. When Points you factor Joe. in Joe gets when, a point for counting. When you factor in the fact that he was third in that ranking and won the Champions League and won La Liga, and, and was the top scorer in the Champions League as well. It's a 
gimme. This one is just an absolute gimme. Watching him play on the field was a genuine delight this season. Benzema does stuff that pretty much no other nine in the world does. I do think there are some other nominations that maybe would be in contention mm-hmm. to come second or third in this rankings, but it is Benzema for player of the year. Yeah, no no argument for me. Uh, you've, you all have already gone over some of the stats. The one thing that jumped out to me, uh, I saw this in, I believe, an athletic write-up. Of the six La Liga games, Benzema did not play. Madrid just won two of them, scored only four goals in those games. So it shows how instrumental he is when he's there and when he's not there. But just for like this being... This particular Madrid team with Ancelotti coming in, and we talked about this in the Champions League review, the like less of an emphasis on tactics. I wouldn't go so far as to say it was just vibes, but I think he is the epitome of a player who, give him the ball, give him the backing, and let him go do things, and he will do that. I think it, it really is on display, especially in the Champions League this season from Karim Benzema, but also just making his teammates better. I think that's the case for Rodrigo. I think it's certainly the case for Vinny Jr., um, and that sort of strike triad with Valverde coming in on occasion or starting on occasion, I think was better than the sum of its parts. And I think a large part of that is because of Kareem Benzema. And those parts are very good. Don't get me wrong. They just performed excellently. And I think he deserves that award from from the Total Soccer Show. I'm now excited for the first time about the Ballon d'Or because I want to know if he's going to win the Ballon d'Or or if he's going to win the weird award that they made up to give to Robert Lewandowski <laughs> so that they can give the Ballon d'Or to Cristiano Ronaldo or Leo Messi. Maybe he'll get both. And uh, Robert Lewandowski will still get nothing. <laughs> and be thrilled with it, I'm sure. <laughs> thrilled with it in his uh, Catalan confines as he appears to be heading to Barcelona as we record. I think it bears uh, it bears repeating, Taylor, that Karim Benzema's been at Real Madrid at this level for over a decade. Yeah. And for him to be shining at this stage, on this stage, at this period of being with the club mm. is quite incredible, isn't it? It really is. And and for him, right, he goes from Lyon to Madrid, right? Way back when? Yeah. I think that's those are like his only two clubs. So yeah. I think he was on that Lyon team that won the league like seven or eight years in a row or something like that. So he's won a ton of silverware. But for it to just be this consistent with all of the turmoil at Madrid, with different managers, different star players, as we talked about in the review, Hazard and Bale both on the bench. But here's this player who sometimes flies under the radar, leading them in the league, leading them in the Champions League, lifting that silverware at the end of the season. A great year for him, and I would agree, player of the year. I do have some other nominations as well, similar to Joe, but I don't want to cut anybody off if they have more to say about Benzema. No, you're good. Let's let's hear it. Yeah. All right. Uh, I had one being Sam Kerr, uh, slightly out of the box, but 20 goals in 20 games, uh, the best conversion rate in the Women's Super League uh, on 63 shots. She had a 32% conversion rate. The closest, the next closest scorer to her was uh, Vivian Miedema, who had 14 goals in 22 games, so fewer goals in more games. And the next closest scorer for Chelsea was Bethany England with eight goals. So Sam Kerr showing her importance to a Chelsea team that went on to win the Women's Super League. I think she got a lot of uh, highlight moments this season, but also I think was instrumental in them winning the league. So Sam Kerr, another nominee for me, and my final one, maybe slightly, slightly generous here, would be Rafael Leao uh, of AC Milan. Oh, yeah. Most yeah. Serie A dribbles, three goals and six assists in their last six games, 11 goals, nine assists in total this season, but instrumental in helping them uh, get that Scudetto title. Uh, and now we'll see what happens after that. I can't remember if you're supposed to say Scudetto title or if it's just the Scudetto. It's like saying ATM machine, potentially. But either way, Leao, I think very important for Milan. We'll see how big of a transfer uh, he generates this summer if he moves, which seems possible slash likely. But I think him kind of rising to the forefront of a Milan team that has a ton of talent and some pretty big names, emphasizing Zlatan Ibrahimovic, I think is no small feat either. Um, first up, I don't think Italians say the Scudetto. Uh, no? I'll, I'll start you sure? There. No, I don't think they do. Um, and Sam Kerr can also get the award for best uh, destroying a pitch invader. Do you remember that game? I think it was a Champions League game where she completely yeah. dropped a, a pitch invader on the field, which was very impressive as well, if my memory serves me correct. Uh, Joe, let's hear some of your nominations. I'll, I'll throw one into the mix as well. How about Hyung Min Sun? Um, joint top goal scorer in the Premier League with 23 goals, none of which came from penalties. And, you know, relatively instrumental, well, part of the team, I should say, that got Tottenham into the top four as well. I thought he had a cracking season too. I think that's a fine nomination. You'd have a hard time convincing me to take Son over Salah in this particular conversation, given that they finished tied in goals and that Salah was a part of 
maybe the best team in Europe. I, I know they lost the Champions League and the Premier League, but we talked about that on Saturday. They were part of a very, very good team. But I do think Son had a great season, and he's a brilliant player. My other two nominations outside of Benzema, Robert Lewandowski, very straightforward. He led the league. Uh, he, he led Europe's top five leagues in scoring. He is a brilliant goal scorer. We might have seen the last of him at Bayern Munich, TBD on that one, but still, I think he had a phenomenal season. And then Bernardo Silva, just because he's awesome to watch. He's, he's unreal to watch on the field, playing all sorts of different positions. He pops up everywhere on the field. He was, I think, maybe the most important piece for, like Liverpool, an excellent Manchester City team. So I, I have Silva on my list of nominees as well. Very good. That's a great list there. I particularly like um, Rafael Leal. Uh, your inclusion there, T-Rock. Very good indeed. Why don't we move on to the next category, Goal of the Year. Um, if we were to bleed the Premier League and their Goal of the Year, it was Mo Salah's goal in the 2-2 draw against Man City in October, the one where he weaved past, I'm going to say, five defenders and then slotted in from that acute angle. It was a glorious, glorious finish, that one Premier League goal of the season. Joe, what else we got on, on the noms here? So Salah was one for me. I can't really pick between these two, and so I kind of am hoping that you guys will help decide or maybe have a better nomination that I didn't find, but two goals that did really stand out to me. So one is Mbappe's goal against Real Madrid in the Champions League, the first leg of the round of 16. It's late. It's stoppage time in that game, and it's nil-nil at the time. Mbappe cuts between Vasquez and Militao and slots it home uh, as he's cutting towards the, the left side of the box. He's coming into the left side of the box and hits it beautifully into the back of the net. That goal was unreal. And I think maybe I'm, I'm partly biased here because of the context surrounding that goal. And I don't know if we're supposed to factor that in or not. But Mbappe's goal against Real Madrid was one for me. And then aesthetically, this one might be my favorite of the year. It's Thiago's goal versus Porto in the Champions League as well. It's that half volley. I'm not, I'm not even sure if it really counts as a half volley. The ball is just bouncing up off the ground. And he hits it from 27 or 28 yards out. And, and it just sails into the back of the net. It's, it's low. It's satisfying. Aesthetically, I think that might be my favorite goal. But I don't know if it's the best goal or not. So I want to hear, Taylor, do you have any nominations that might be better than that? And so I can stop debating whether I should pick Mbappe or Thiago for my own nominations. Uh, it's up to you, my friend, because I did not have either one of those high on my list. I had the Mbappe one specifically because when we were on vacation, uh, one of the people that was with us was a pretty big hockey fan. He watched uh, a lot of the hockey playoffs, and he was sort of schooling me because I haven't watched hockey in a very long time about like kind of the new star names, the the major faces, and the one that he spotlighted in particular was Connor McDavid of the Edmonton Oilers. And watching him, there's just a lot of similarity to Kylian Mbappe. And so we were sort of showing each other different videos, him of Connor McDavid, me of Kylian Mbappe, because it's just breakaway speed, but tight control, ability to score when it doesn't seem like he should be able to, a lot of confidence, a lot of swagger. And so that goal was one that I showed him, and it just is just a super fun goal. So I have that on my list, but it was third behind the Rodrigo goal versus Chelsea with that Modric pass. And it sort of is cheating because... The goal itself is good. It's that one-time in-step volley over the shoulder, and that's an impressive feat. But I think a lot of it is because of that ball from Modric, uh, just how incredibly well hit it was. The Travella over the top, bending perfectly into the path. So I don't know if that one counts because it's like 40% the goal and 60% the assist. So I did have it as most allow that slalom goal versus Man City in October because it's physicality he rides a challenge but keeps control he evades defenders he makes a few people look silly a couple people get posterized Bernardo Silva chief amongst them and then it's just a really good finish into the side netting and it helps that he does it right in front of the Liverpool supporters so then he can kind of turn and there's that big dramatic celebration that adds to it a little bit as well did you say posterized yeah, like when, uh, I think I, I know that mostly from the NBA, like when you'd get the poster of like Michael Jordan dunking on somebody or Shaq dunking on somebody, that was the, you know, like the iconic poster moment. And then it was the person who was being dunked on that was like oh. just in the bottom corner of the poster looking humiliated. That's getting posterized. Oh, that's a new term for me. I hate that. Thank you, Joe, <laughs> yeah. Taylor. You hate the term or you hate when it happens? No, that feels like winningest in terms of things that will never enter my lexicon. But I like that it's been introduced. Thank you oh, very much. Posterize is the best. I use it especially when it comes to the player who's like least responsible for the goal but tries to make the last-ditch play when they like leave the play that they had marked and they try to make a play. And then it ends up being this world-class goal and they, in the highlights, look foolish for diving in last minute and they look like they didn't know what they were doing when in actuality they were the ones who were doing the right thing, but they end up getting posterized anyway. 
The kids still even have posters these days with their TikToks and their Pac-Man video games, Taylor. It's all NFT. He got NFT'd. He got NFT'd. There you go. Thank you very much. Mm. Um, I think, yeah, we're probably going to have to give this one to Mo Salah, but... I really, really like the Thiago goal, Joe. Um, I think when I think about my favourite goals, they're always goals from distance. And if they hit the post or the or the bar, that's even yep. better. I don't think that one did, but just the technique there from distance, that might edge it for me. But I, I'm a I'm I'm a length boy. Is that what I call myself? Do I want to call myself that? I'm calling HR. I'm calling HR. But yeah, uh, I think you all can go <laughs> ahead and uh, decide to outvote and I think also it bucks the trend because I think everyone is giving it to Mo Salah mm. a couple articles I read talked about how that's like already a shoe in for the Pushkash award as well so let's go different let's say Tiago with a goal plus Boom. Liverpool uh, needed some goals and so giving them a goal here is probably nice it is he just hit some different as we're always told alright let's take a very quick break when we come back more awards looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League 1? FX is Welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to our awards for the European season. A nice fun one here. The most fun game we can come up with. Uh, I've got a few nominations on my list. Joe, I'll let you go first here. Actually, no, I'll start you off with one from but a few weeks ago. Everton 3, Crystal Palace 2. Um, Crystal Palace 2-0 up in this game at uh, at Everton, of course. Uh, Everton needing to win it to survive. Yada, 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 they get to survive. Q celebrations, despite Frank Lampard saying he wouldn't celebrate staying up, and they party like it's 1999. What do you think, Joe? <laughs> that is a good one. That was a really, really good game. There were a lot of good games this season. I had a hard time picking one until I remembered I, what I also think is the answer to this question. Um, so for me, at least, it is Real Madrid 3, Manchester City 1 in the UEFA Champions League on May 4th, the second leg of the tie. It's Real Madrid scoring three goals in the 90th minute or later to pull off a crazy comeback and make it into the Champions League final. I still, guys, I still cannot believe that this happened. I was sitting on a couch watching this game in utter disbelief that this had happened. Manchester City had this thing in the bag, and they they blew it, really, is what happened. And it, it's, it's the way the goals come and how late they come in this game and how little, really, there had been involved in that game before then. It was pretty quiet from both sides. So that game between City and Real Madrid with Real Madrid coming back is is my answer to this question. I have a couple other nominees as well. Man City 2, Liverpool 2 on April 10th. I believe that's the game we talked about on Bleacher Report, um, and, and that was a really fun game with De Bruyne scoring earlier, then Jota equalizes, then Gabriel Jesus scores, then Mane equalizes for Liverpool right after halftime. Just a, a quality-filled game. Maybe in terms of the quality of the play, that might be the best one. My last nomination is Real Madrid 0, Barcelona 4, which we also talked about on Weekend Review back in March. Just a dominant performance from Xavi's Barcelona on March 20th that I think will give us a real... It gave us a real blueprint to what Xavi wants from this Barcelona team, and I think people will continue to call back to that game next year and in the years beyond if Xavi's still a part of that coaching staff and still leading that staff because it really was just the thesis of how he wants them to play. But either way, my answer is Madrid 3, City 1 from the Champions League. Yeah, mine as well. I would add to that I had Man City and Liverpool as well, and I would add the first leg of Man City-Madrid, because that's with City 2-0 up, then it's 3-1, to then it's 4-2, to yeah. then there's that benzema Panenka, which was insanity in the moment, uh, and then you get the second leg uh, with Rodrigo scoring in the 90th and 92nd minutes. Uh, just how 
all over the place those games were. Maybe there's recency bias there, but I just, but like my notes for that sort of deteriorate into just a series of exclamation points because they were so much fun to watch. And then my my other like honest answer, but it doesn't quite fit with what we're doing here. But it's true. My my most entertaining, most fun game that I watched in the last twelve months was the USA's five one win over Panama. Doesn't count because it's not about like the club season, but just wanted to note that game was amazing, not just because of the result. The crowd was awesome. The atmosphere was intense. Uh, sitting with good people during the game and uh, even with a fairly severe hangover, I still enjoyed that one quite a bit. So those were mine, but I would agree with Joe that Madrid 3, Man City 1 is probably the most fun game of the season. You had a hangover for an evening game? Yes, it did. <laughs> <laughs> It's a combination of entering the realm of the two-day hangover and uh, maybe maybe slightly overindulging. Just slightly. Just yeah, slightly. We ain't young yeah. no more, Taylor. That's for sure. Um, sure feels that way. Sure feels we, that way. <laughs> to, to go back to Real Madrid, who've rightly been nominated a couple times in this mm-hmm. category, most fun team of the year? Can we give them that? I mean, just for the Champions yeah. League run, if anything, yes. through the knockouts, right? No doubt. The, the I mean, we talked about this on Saturday, too, but to make it through the teams they did in their Champions League run to take down PSG, to take down Manchester City and some others as well. Then you get Chelsea and Liverpool, not in that order, of course, but man, to make that run and to be as chaotic as they were while doing it, yeah, they are the most fun team this season. They are indeed. And uh, eyebrow-hoisting cigar-smoking manager helping that effect as well. I will add a couple more into the mix here. Um, I'm going to go back to the very first day of the Premier League. If you can cast your mind back to that Friday night on 14th of August, I recall watching Brentford 2, Arsenal 0, the season opener in the Premier League. And maybe not the best technical game, but it was Brentford's introduction to the Premier League. And it was just like nobody, I don't think many of us expected them to to beat down Arsenal and get three points on their first ever Premier League game. Uh, it was just, it, it was an awful lot of fun. We got introduced to Thomas Frank that night and Ivan Tony and all those cast of characters. And it was a good weekend because Spurs beat Man City the next day as well. It, it sort of set up the Premier League season to make me think, this is going to be a lot of fun. And it was indeed. Any, 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 uh, any love for that one? Can we remember that one? That was Taylor? a long time ago. That feels like a, a, a eight years, maybe nine years ago. Yeah. That was an excellent first weekend, though, for the Premier League. Brentford proving that they would be fun, and indeed they were in the season. That's a good shout, Ryan. I didn't remember that far, but it's a good one. And actually, while I'm talking about Brentford, a couple weeks later, 25th of September, Brentford 3, Liverpool 3. Um, in West London as well at the Community Stadium. Brentford went ahead in that one, and it was John Wieser who came on as a sub to equalise late on. And once again, just this really good intro to Brentford. We we saw they play beautiful soccer. We saw they can mix it with the big boys in a way that the Norwiches of this world hadn't quite managed uh, when they came up so, uh, and, you know, rightfully retaining their place in the Premier League as well. I thought that was... A, do, you, do you remember that one, Taylor? 3-3, Liverpool, Brentford? I, I do not. <laughs> I have uh, notes on Brentford later on, but like I said, uh, a lot of games we've talked yeah. about this season. Yeah, exactly. I had to I had to really go through the notes to, to, to remember that one. But uh, yeah, that was this season, believe it or not. So I did, most, I did that too. Sorry, I like I obviously I have my notebooks that I that I keep my notes in. So that's really useful for going back and being like, oh right, that happened. But there's so many games to keep track of. But it was fun to to look back on all of the many games we've covered, which is a full notebook and a half, I think, this season. It, well, wow, wow, that's saying something. Um, so we've got to give this category to someone. Are we giving it to a Real Madrid game? What did we can decide I, here? I think it has to be, Ryan. I think it has to be Real Madrid City back in the Champions League. Okay. Taylor, you with that? Yeah, I'm good with that. Excellent. Let's move on to the next category. Most shocking result. I think I may have this one locked down. Um, and it involves Real Madrid as well. It's a game we mentioned on the weekend review of the Champions League final. Real Madrid 1, Sheriff Tiraspol 2. Um, this is the eventual champions of the Champions League losing to Moldova's Sheriff Tiraspol, who are from Europe's poorest nation. Uh, they failed to make it out of the qualifying stages of the Champions League on their eight previous occasions they entered. From two, uh, That's from 2008 to 2020, those eight occasions coming. Um, and I looked up the odds for Sheriff Tiraspol to win that game, which I had in my notes when we first did our Champions League review, they were 1-80 to 80 to win that game. So if you put 80 bucks down, you'd have got $1 back. Um, and that's a pretty long odds <laughs> for a game in the wow. Champions League or in any other competition. So for me, I'm going to call that the most shocking result. Taylor, what say you? 
That is a great nomination because I it's one of those that like it happened so early and because it happened the group stage it maybe feels less impactful especially when it's Madrid going on to win the whole thing losing that first game or losing that game doesn't feel quite as momentous but you're right that it was a shock moment and it did you need those results to give you that like ooh maybe Madrid won't make it out of the Champions League group stage that would be a crazy story and then that ends up not being the case so I think that's a solid nomination Ryan I have another Madrid game uh, Real Madrid 3 PSG 1 that would be with PSG having won the first leg 1-0. They go up 1-0 on this one, so it's 2-0 on aggregate. But we get a 17-minute hat trick from Karim Benzema that eliminates PSG. And it sort of, for the how confident and competent PSG were looking, that Madrid found that way to just get back into it and make something happen. That was shocking to me because it seemed like, okay, PSG are going to get past this huge, historically huge, currently huge club. And that could maybe be this big point for them moving forward in the season and instead sort of the end of their season in some ways and the other one that I should mention uh, Manchester United getting destroyed by Liverpool is shocking in the sense of how one-sided it was but at the same time it's a very good Liverpool it's a very poor Manchester United so maybe that's not quite as shocking as say United's 4-0 loss to Brighton even with Manchester United's incompetence and I'll talk a little bit more about that later (laughs) for them to lose 4-0 to Brighton was a true something is not right with this club more than we already thought more than we already knew for the players to just sort of give up the way they did and give that result to Brighton who took that result they earned that result they found their goals they worked hard they did all the things you need to do not trying to do a disservice to them but the complete lack of response and lack of fight for Manchester United was uh, pretty shocking yeah I'd forgotten about that one Taylor and I think you're right it was truly shocking to see how little Man United turned up for that game yep um, completely agree with that one I might contest your PSG nomination because at this stage <laughs> is it a shock when they choke in this competition Taylor I think just because it felt so much like this is a a semi-dysfunctional Real Madrid, that's what it felt like in that moment. Like, oh, they, they're kind of like good. Like, they're very good, but they've got older players. Eventually, that's going to catch up to them. They're huge acquisitions. Some of them aren't playing at all or are playing as substitutes. This feels like the season that PSG could finally get by them, especially with all of the talent they have and the uh, addition of Lionel Messi. It just seemed like they were going to be able to do it. Uh, and I did have faith in Pochettino uh, to to make that happen. I guess PSG did not, uh, and they didn't. So you're right, it's probably not as shocking as maybe some of their previous implosions, but still somewhat shocking to me. Joe Lowry, if you'll weigh in with your nominations. There have been some really good ones so far, none of which were on my list. I just have one for this one because it was clear to me, but now it's a lot a lot less clear. My pick either way is Villarreal beating Bayern Munich in the quarterfinals of the Champions League back in April. A 1-0 Villarreal win in the first leg and a 1-1 draw in the second leg with a late winner to send Bayern Munich packing. I did not expect this. And this result, along with Villarreal in the round of 16 against Juve, and in some of their performances in the group stage, though, but, but really heading into this game against Bayern, this tie against Bayern, and moving out of that into their tie against Liverpool, it showed everybody just how good this Villarreal team is and how much fun they are to watch. They do things differently in the league versus in the Champions League. And they did almost everything very, very well in that tie against Bayern Munich. And they actually ended up beating them, which was a genuine shock to me. So that, for me, is my most shocking result that comes over two legs. You guys had a lot of good ones, though. And I won't be upset if we move with one of the other ones. What will be your vote then, Joe, if we had to pick now? Gun to your head. (sighs) Okay, so we have this one. We have Brighton over Manchester United. We had... Uh, Real Madrid over PSG. Are those the only three? Wait, there's there's one more, right? Ryan, you had Liverpool, another one? Man United, Liverpool. Um, okay. We had Real Madrid, Sheriff, Tiraspol. We oh, had the PSG, Champions yeah. League. Yeah, I w- okay. Tiraspol versus Madrid is my answer. But I, I do like my Villarreal shout as well. Okay. Taylor, you going to tip this one? You've got to give it to someone. I, I like Joe's Villarreal shout <laughs> <laughs> to complicate matters further. Uh, that was such a surprising result. I kind of forgot about that one. So that would actually be on my list. And aside from that one, uh, w- w- I guess Tears Bowl. Yeah, we can give it to Tears Bowl. Why not? Yeah. All right, let's do that then. After all, um, the Champions League champions losing their opening home yeah. game of the competition yeah. to lowly opposition. Pretty shocking, uh, but all very, very good nominations. Uh, best signing of the season. Joe Lowry, I have a suspicion this one might be headed to a certain person who has a dog called Tony Gross. 
I think you might be right about that, Ryan. I have two nominations, but my preferred is Luis Diaz, oh, <laughs> owner of the best dog, the best named dog in the world, certainly. And Tony Kroos moved from Porto to Liverpool in January for 50 million pounds, scored a handful of goals already for Liverpool, was really dangerous. And I, I think maybe the easiest way to describe the importance of this Luis Diaz signing is by looking at just how quickly he became a starter for them. Yeah, he comes off the bench a few times early on, gets his feet wet a little bit, but all of a sudden he's starting in big games. He's starting in the Champions League final. He's starting in key title-deciding matches in the Premier League. He became the left winger for Jurgen Klopp's Liverpool team, which is not not an easy thing to do. He pushed Sadio Mane centrally, and sure, there were other reasons for that, maybe not getting the best production out of Firmino and Jota centrally, so you move Mane there and you get a different look. But still... Having someone like Luis Diaz come in and take that role that quickly, I think makes him a very strong makes a very strong case for him for this particular result. The only other nomination I have, and there's a few here, even if you want to look outside of players as well, but I stuck with players, is Tammy Abraham. 40 million euros for uh, for Tammy Abraham as he moved from Chelsea to Roma in the summer. 17 goals for Roma in Syria, sixth in the top five leagues in XG. He was really, really good for Roma this year. One of the best attackers in all of Serie A, getting a chance to shine under Jose Mourinho. I don't think I would pick Abraham over Diaz, but I do think that Tammy Abraham has a pretty strong case as well. Uh, excellent nomination for my brother's neighbor, Tammy Abraham. Very good, Of Joe. course. Of course. Um, okay, you didn't lead with that? I thought that would sorry. have been how you led that one. You're right. That's my bad. That's, <laughs> see, that's why I didn't win Best Joe Lowry Award. So <laughs> You'll get there one day. You'll be nominated next year. I'm sure of it, Joe. Um... I'm going to go for a, uh, a hipster's choice, Taylor, uh, to tee you up as well. What about Mr. Kuliszewski at Tottenham, who joined in January? Uh, as many assists as Kevin De Bruyne in that period has become a fan favourite. One of the reasons that Tottenham are in the top four, along with Youngmin's son. What do you think of that? Um, I like it. I'm confused. Are you teeing me up because I'm a hipster, because I like Kuliszewski, or because I like Spurs? Candid to be all of them. <laughs> uh, I think that's that's a really good shout. And Tottenham did do a lot of solid business. Uh, so I, I'm with you uh, that he should be a nomination. But I think Luis Diaz is my winner. My other, I guess, sort of hipstery nominations are Bruno Guimaraes for Newcastle has become just such an important player for them and I think will be the foundation for them going forward. Christian Eriksen returning from near death, uh, but looking just like the playmaker we knew him to be and on a free transfer for Brentford. Uh, Brentford getting a, a lot of love and will continue to get love in this podcast. And my other one, my number two nominee behind Luis Diaz is Mark Cucurella, uh signed from Hatafe for I think around $20 million, dollars, maybe slightly under that, but ends up being the fans' player of the year and the players' player of the year for a Brighton team that were obviously very successful. But he comes in from La Liga, and there's always those questions about can a La Liga defender handle the physicality of the Premier League and all the expectations, and he plays a couple different positions for Brighton this season, is very good at all of them, scores against Manchester United, uh, celebrates emphatically, does a little bit of crying, and that stands out as well for how much that clearly meant to him. So mm. Mark Cucurella was my other... Uh, best transfer of the season. I love that. Very good. Um, Joe, one that's just come to mind for me is the aforementioned, uh, what did they call him? The poopy hunchback, uh, Dusan Vlavic, uh, going to Juventus uh, over in January. 17 goals in 21 appearances, I believe the stats say. It seemed like there was a period when he first signed where he just scored constantly as well. Um, Vlavic, what do we think, Joe? It's a great nomination. I have a little bit of trouble putting him above someone like Luis Diaz and maybe even above someone like Tammy Abraham when we factor in just that Juve team underperforming so much. And maybe that's unfair, given that that's not really Vlavic's fault. But for me, he's a little lower down the list because of those reasons. Now, I know Roma weren't giant killers in uh, in Serie A this year by any stretch of the imagination, but they really weren't expected to be. Maybe that's me being a bit too easy on Jose Mourinho. But either way, Ryan Vlavic is a good shout. He's just not above Diaz for me. All right, I can I can go along with that. So I think maybe Taylor, we're down to Diaz or Tammy. What what are we going to say, Diaz? Yeah, Diaz for sure. Not just because of his dog name, but because very good in terms of coming in, having the impact for Liverpool, scoring goals, has a quiet Champions League final. But I think that's because he was triple marked at times. <laughs> And I think showed, I mean, that we moved away from the usual front three for Liverpool with Firmino in there, and it became Salah, Mane, and then Diaz starting the Champions League final. I think that says a lot about how important he's become for Liverpool. 
Indeed. And just, yeah, the manner in which he settled in there, uh, yeah. sh- showing uh, incredible um, assimilation skills, shall we call it. Uh, thank you very much, gents. We're going to take another quick break. When we come back, the remainder of our awards. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to our annual post-European season awards. Uh, We are going now to the category of the team that batted highest above its average, or we'd say punched above its weight in UK parlance. Would you say batted high above your average? Is that the way you'd say that, Taylor? Batted above your average? What's what's the way of saying Overperformed they... expectations. Did yeah. did good when people didn't think they were going to do good. That's that's not, is say. that not batting above your average? Yeah, I think it probably is. I think Joe just hates baseball. No, I just, it's just an awkward way to phrase it. Either way, good. Teams that did good, Ryan, great. We're, we're there. This is why we should have <laughs> had the other Joe on, Taylor. <laughs> <laughs> he was busy though but we make yeah. do we make do we make do fair enough fair enough all right joe would you like to uh go first with any noms you have in this category i'm not sure i'm, I'm feeling like <laughs> i might as well just step out and let the other joe find his way into this recording Aww. session no uh I, so my my first nomination is Villarreal. this i i feel pretty strongly about this one with their run through the champions league all the way to the semifinals i mentioned them earlier they finished seventh in the league which is not great Obviously, it's not you know exactly where you want to be, but still to manage to finish at a decent level in La Liga while also making a run that deep in the Champions League. Obviously, Unai Emery wishes that it, it had been more, but still, I mean, what a year from them to make that run. I have Villarreal, and my my only other nomination is Brighton. Uh, I know Taylor, you mentioned Brentford, and I have a feeling you might be going for them in this category. May but have. Brighton, for me, going from 17th to 15th to 16th, and now all the way up to ninth is legitimately, legitimately, excuse me, impressive over the last four years. It's a very good team that made made a slight push for European spots, spots this year and I think could really make a push for Europe next year. They showed some of that potential this season. So Brighton is my other nomination, but Villarreal first and always for me on this one. Uh, yeah, Joe, that begs the question, uh, just out of curiosity, have you and Villarreal ever been captured sitting in a tree? No, not not on camera, at least. Not K-S-S-I-N-G? Because I know you love you some Villarreal. I do. I do it's wonder true. if like you're subtly on their payroll, the PR payroll for Villarreal. And if so, you're doing a great job. Thank you. They, they, they deserve that attention, and I appreciate how much yes, you love them, um, Joe. But they were not on my list. Brighton definitely was. Uh, 15th highest total salary in the Premier League. And yet, they finished way higher than that. They spent the second least uh, th- for any Premier League team this season. All of it was spent on Kukurea. Uh Only Watford spent lower than them. And for that, they got ninth in the table. 42 goals, 44 against. So not the most free-flowing of attacking teams. But to finish in the top half, no small feat. And also, because of guaranteed TV revenue, combined with the prize money for finishing in certain positions, I believe I'm correct in saying that from TV revenue alone, they will make £110 million. And for a club like Brighton to be able to reinvest that one, that is three times their total annual wage budget. Uh, No small figure for them. More than three times, I think. So, uh, a very successful season for Brighton. Certainly the case for Brentford as well. Uh, Good call there. Joe, lowest estimated salary in the Premier League. They spent... Uh, fourth least this past season, and this is for a team that only was promoted after winning uh, the playoffs. So not even like they ran away with the championship and should have been a good, solid Premier League team. It's a team that had to prove that they deserve to be there. They lost some players along the way to transfers and yet still found a way to finish safe. And it starts with results, like Ryan mentioned, against Arsenal on the opening day. So I think Brighton and Brentford from the Premier League 
One other one that I think should definitely be mentioned is uh, Union Berlin, finishing fifth in the Bundesliga. Uh, I'm sticking with salaries for a moment. They had the third lowest average salary in the Bundesliga. Same thing for their wage bill. They were ahead of only Freiburg and Bielefeld, uh, both of whom I believe stayed up. So uh, strong seasons for the teams that weren't spending very much, but the fourth lowest squad value in the Bundesliga and yet they finished fifth in the league ahead of some much bigger teams with much higher payrolls. And that was with them, again, losing players. They lose Max Krusa in January, who was one of their top performing attackers. And they bring in replacements who do okay, but Union continue to grind out results, a lot of one nils. And that's what it takes to climb up the table and kind of cement your spot. And for Union to have done that while they're... Cross-city rivals Hertha uh, were only able to stay up via winning a relegation playoff. I think shows how the balance of power has shifted a bit in Berlin. It's it's curious city, isn't it, Berlin? The capital city of Germany. You've got Hertha playing in the national stadium and Union overachieving yeah. by finishing in fifth. It's yep. kind of crazy, isn't it? It is. And that's like uh, the same Union Berlin stadium where they had... Like, I think it was during the last World Cup, they had bring your own couch and you could sit on the pitch in your couch and watch games on the big screen. Uh, so I, I like that they still seem to have a pretty good fan-centric focus, but at the same time are, are winning games and doing things in the league. Germany doesn't have a lot of coastlines, so I'm guessing they don't have like folding beach chairs if you have to bring your own couch. Yeah, that's, that's, that's definitely what it was. That must be it, right? For sure. That's really convenient. <laughs> Just drag your couch all the way here. We'll find a way yeah, to make it work. Exactly. Uh, I think uh, these are some excellent nominations. For me, maybe Brighton just edge it. Um, but I will ask you, Taylor, is there any more... How do I phrase this? I don't want to be rude to Brighton, but any more nondescript team in the Premier League? I feel like they're the team that least excites me when I see them. Uh, they're coming up this weekend and... Um, it's it's just do you know what I'm trying to say? Like even Burnley had a manager who ate worms. It's like Brighton, like they don't give me the fizz. Does that make sense? Yeah, I I know what you mean. I think it's like I will try to navigate this one as best I can. But I know exactly what you mean because it's not like they're boring, but it's not like they're this free flowing, exciting attacking team. They're just a very good or competent team with an interesting manager, but in Graham Potter, not a manager that I think anybody is looking at as like, he's going to manage Real Madrid someday, or he's going to manage Man City. Maybe he will. But I think a lot of it comes down to, I'll speak for myself, probably just ignorance that I don't watch a ton of Brighton. I'm not really following Brighton. I don't know many fans who support that club. So I think what it ends up, like I personally don't know people. So I think it's probably my own ignorance about them means I'm less focused on them. They're one of those teams that's like, yeah, they're in the Premier League, they're okay, but they're not going to be appointment viewing for me the way maybe some teams who finish lower than them would be because I am slightly more familiar, like even Burnley. And and when they have Sean Dyche, there's things about their defensive structure and defensive system that we know, and then, yeah, Sean Dyche eats worms. So that makes them even more exciting. Brighton are fun. You guys should watch them. It hurts me that you'd rather watch Burnley. That's all I have to say. Okay, so I didn't give say you the I would case rather watch. It's just that I think like Brighton, like when we're doing weekend review and we're running through the list of fixtures, I don't think that like a Brighton game is one that I'm looking at as like, ooh, that's going to be really right. interesting. Even if I can kind of get myself up for like Brighton, Brighton Spurs, that could be fun. That could be fascinating. Uh, but maybe we're going to go with this game instead. I just feel like they end up being one that we don't talk about that much. Yeah, I think if, if it's like Brighton Aston Villa or match of the day, that's going on last, I, I thought. <laughs> You know, and once again, I don't want to be I mean, rude Norwich about Brighton. I like a word with you, but sure. <laughs> well, they might lose 6-0 or something. So they might get a bit higher in the pecking ah. order. But, um, J- Joe, tell me why they're fun then. I mean, once again, I don't want to be rude about them. And no, they have no, that's... Done, they've, yeah. tr- they've achieved so much this season. But tell me why, why I should be more excited about watching them. So I think there's a few reasons. One is that... I don't want I don't want to exactly call it a systematic progression through the Premier League table, up through the Premier League table, but they are very clearly raising their profile in the Premier League from a results standpoint. Moving from 17th a few years ago, now all the way up to 9th, is one big reason why you should watch them. There's real progress being made from a stability standpoint inside that club. The second reason is Graham Potter. This is a guy who had a ton of success managing in Scandinavia and and making noise in Europe, which is not something we see from a lot of teams from that part of the continent. That's a big reason as well. Potter is an English guy in the way that he plays, and this is my third reason, is fun. I think it is a lot more open and exciting than maybe we're giving it credit for in this particular episode. I think you'll see aggressive center backs out of a back three. You'll see positional interchanges. 
you'll see soccer that if you squint and maybe you're colorblind, doesn't look all that different from some of the biggest teams and the biggest clubs in the world from a stylistic standpoint. So I don't know, maybe, maybe that can be our resolution for next year to watch a few more Brighton games. Like I said earlier, I think they're going to make some noise and they could, emphasis on could, push for some European spots. You mentioned the term colorblind there. That reminds me, Brighton, the only team who've had a Counting Crows song written about their manager. Hey, Mr. Potter, don't cry, and so on. Anyway, <laughs> that doesn't sell uh, you on them, Ryan? That doesn't sell you on them? Uh, I'm, I'm slightly more sold on them, yes, thank you. Good. Uh, so let's give this one to Brighton, shall we, Taylor? Sure, I'm still trying to figure out if that's a real Counting Crows song and also if Joe has any idea who the Counting Crows are. Uh, don't know, and yes, I do not know who they are. And oh, I boy. still think we should give it to Villarreal after all that Brighton talk. <laughs> <laughs> But I accept. I accept either way. They're both They're both good. I'll let you call it, Taylor. Who do you want to give it to? I mean, I want Joe to be happy. Villarreal. Let's give it to Villarreal ah, for, for what they okay. did. And really, knocking out Bayern was not a thing I ever Unreal. expected to happen. Unreal. So for them to get All right. not as much attention but still find a way to get that result deserves some credit. I'm happy with that. Before we move on from this nomination, Joe, if you love Villarreal so much, why don't you marry them? Uh, just at long distance is difficult, you know, Spain to Phoenix, it's not easy. <laughs> okay, good, good, okay. Um, <laughs> Joe offered to have them relocate to Phoenix, and that didn't go over too well. Yeah, they said no, I don't know why, but yeah, whatever. <laughs> so we go in that category from the team that overachieved the most to the biggest underachievers in our next category. Uh, Taylor, I'm going to come straight Man out Man United, here. let's end this category. <laughs> oh, they weren't even on my shortlist. Me either. Yeah. They absolutely should win this. <laughs> should yeah, they should. On? Highest estimated <laughs> annual salary. They spent $40 million more on salaries than second place Chelsea. They wow. spent a ton of money in the past few transfer windows. They're still garbage and real, real bad. Um, and since then, it's come out that Rangnick uh, will not be doing much, if anything, in his two-year consultancy position. So they basically hired him to make everybody angry and make everybody completely dissatisfied in playing football for Manchester United. And then they let him go. And now here we are. So I think for the amount of money that they have spent and are able to spend the players they have on hand, the way this season went for Manchester United from train wreck to train wreck to like fully off the rails train wreck by the end of the season uh, and every now and then kind of getting those hopes in there to remind us like, oh, they could be good. And then in that same game, finding a way to give it away at the end, I would say they're pretty strong underachievers. And my other nominee for this one would be PSG for the same old things that we always talk about with PSG, including their <laughs> failure to advance in the Champions League. Okay. Yep. Um, my my two nominations. I think it's going to be Man United, but my two nominations as well would Yay. be Juventus for finishing fourth uh, with you know that squad with Allegri and, and whatnot. I think it's they they will count this as a very poor and forgettable season. And Everton, who spent quite a bit of money and were dreadful. Um, Joe, who else you got? Those are all excellent. Manchester United is a great shout. PSG is a great shout. Everton's a really good one too. Ryan. Mine, I don't expect to win this. I don't expect you know, Saint-Étienne, which is my nomination, to win this. But them getting relegated from Ligue 1 for the first time since 2005 is a pretty big deal. They're a pretty big club with real history, salary-wise, to dig into Taylor's domain here. They had, from what I read, the fifth highest salary in Ligue 1 this year. And they, they crashed down over the last few years. They finished as highest fourth in Ligue 1. That was back in 2018-19. This is over the last few seasons. They were 11th last season, and now they're out of Ligue 1. I think that's a major storyline heading into the summer and heading into next season for soccer in France. I don't know, you know, maybe big picture, if this is as big as some of the other nominees that we've provided, but Saint-Étienne is my nominee. Um, still Man United, Taylor? <laughs> yeah, I think so. Although Everton is another really, really good shout, just because they had they so barely hung on there at the end, even with mm. uh, Lampard coming in, and I think with the amount of money they spent, should definitely have been at the very least closer to just automatic safety than they were. But I think ultimately, yeah, it's Manchester United for me. Though Saint Etienne is one Joe that I hadn't really thought about, but is a great nomination because it's also a club that. Every single season seemed to sell on at least one player for a lot of money, and yet that hasn't really worked out for them. They haven't really reinvested, and here they are. So maybe Saint-Étienne, honorable mention for me. Manchester United, dishonorable mention for me. Uh, and dishonorable mention for Saint-Étienne's fans as well, who yes, uh, had some that. very, very poor behavior with the pitch invasion on the final weekend as well. 
Uh, Best American Abroad is the next category, or the Not Just Sergeant Award, Joe. Hooray. (laughs) That is my favorite award name that we have so far, the Not Just Sergeant Award. It's Weston McKinney for me. Only ended up with Mm. around 1,700 minutes for Juve due to injury, Mm. but was playing some of the best soccer of his life around the end of last year and the start of this year. He was very, very good in, in that injury against Villarreal. I guess this is maybe this is why our, oh, our relationship won't work with Villarreal. It's because Weston McKinney was injured against them in the Champions League round of 16. Didn't play up until the final weekend, I believe, for Juve of the season. He's working his way back in with the U.S. It's expected that he'll get maybe a few minutes over the next week or so and then maybe start in the Nations League, according to Greg Baralter. But Weston McKinney is is my top nominee. I have a few others, but Taylor, I want to hear from you as far as your uh, not Josh Sargent Award nominees. Yeah. Weston McKinney's an interesting shout. I think I didn't have him in there because of that injury. And that, again, is probably recency bias. So uh, a good one there, Joe. Uh, I had Anthony Robinson for being a pivotal a player one. for Fulham as they got automatic promotion. And I think him, again, cementing his role. And maybe he ends up moving on to a bigger club, but maybe he stays there and gets Premier League action. That's pretty solid. Cameron Carter-Vickers, starting the season where he did to finishing as a champion, but also being back with the national team and really elevating his game over the course of the season. I think that deserves a lot of credit. My answer to this one, though, is not one that I was really going to answer until doing a little bit more research about Sam Kerr led me to looking at the Champions League final, and now I'm nominating Katarina Macario. Oh, uh, because yeah. Lyon won the league, won the Champions League. Uh, Macario was their second leading uh, scorer, the second leading scorer, excuse me, in the in the league. She had 14 goals this season, but she also scored in the Champions League final uh, in the semifinal first leg versus PSG, and in both quarterfinals against Juventus, who had advanced out of the group stage ahead of Sam Kerr's Chelsea. So I think Macario playing so well for a club that is as massive as Lyon yes. makes a huge difference and uh, will do a lot towards building that confidence for her with the national team, where I'm assuming she's already pretty confident. So I'm saying Katarina Macario, best American abroad. Taylor, that is such a good answer. That is 100% the right answer here. I just wrote a whole piece and watched a bunch of footage from Macario from her time with Lyon and her time with uh, with the national team as well for a piece that I wrote for Backhield, and she is just so good. I cannot wait to see more of her with the national team. There's some friendlies in June against Colombia. That's in late June. And then a big tournament uh, in, in Mexico for the U.S. Women's National Team coming up that could end up getting them qualified to both the World Cup and the Olympics. Katarina Macario, for my money, should be the starting number nine for this team. It seems like that's the direction Blackco is leaning as well. Taylor, for everything she accomplished this season over in France, I think that's a great answer. And then oh. you had Villarreal somehow on this list. Too. Yeah, no, sorry, sorry. Cool. Yeah, Katarina Macario is not the answer. It's Villarreal. Thank you. There we go. Perfect. They're not Josh Sargent, so that does technically work. That is true. That they fit count. the criteria. Yeah. All right. Well, I don't think this one's severe. Rail. I think uh, Macario fits the scenario. Is what we can say for this one. Two more. I applaud. I applaud. Thank you. I applaud you, Ryan. Thank you very much. Uh, to be expected. Uh, two more categories here. Biggest flop, and we're mm. talking in terms of transfers here. Um, I'm sorry, Taylor. I think we have to say Romelu Lukaku, don't we? Ninety-seven million pounds to Chelsea. Sixteen Premier League starts with five goals. An interview where he spoke. Rather more favorably about being in Italy rather than. Oh, did that not go over well? They didn't love that one? I don't think they like that very (laughs) much. Um, And we can say what we like about him not being selected, but there's probably reasons for that. And I think that kind of outlay he did not justify, sadly. No, I I don't think so. Uh, And I think for the amount of money spent, as you said, uh, for him to come in and only get, I think, five league goals in 23 Premier League games, he's now basically a backup and maybe even a backup's backup on occasion. Uh, Chelsea, I think, would happily move him on if they're allowed to. I don't know if they are. We'll see what happens there. Uh, But they might not be able to because of that amount of money. Uh, But I think he is... Like I don't know, maybe it's unfair because Chelsea like weren't able to incorporate him and didn't adjust things quite the way he needed them to, but I think that still means that he wasn't able to perform. So I don't know why I feel awkward making him the answer, but I think he is. my. He was my number one answer. My other nomination, which feels harsh given that it was a free transfer, but man, Dali Ali did not work out at Everton. <laughs> and that was one I think I'm sort of angry because I thought for sure this is going to click. It's Lampard's second chance. It's Deli Ali's second chance. They're both going to remind everybody why they were so hyped. Uh, and yet, here we are with Deli Ali. I think it's like a free transfer that could have risen to $40 million with 
performance incentives and appearance fees, and I'm not sure they're going to end up getting any money out of this Tottenham because he has been that bad and inconsistent for an Everton team that are already pretty inconsistent. So I don't know what will happen to him, but even on a free, I had Deli Ali as one of my nominees he, as well. He's, he's very much part of Everton's transfer strategy of getting players who were vaguely good elsewhere a long time ago, though, right? Yeah, that sounds about right. That is kind of an Everton tradition. You're not wrong. That yeah. that, that is a thing they tend to do. He fits well in that mold in that way. He does indeed. Joe, Joe, your thoughts for the biggest flop this season? Lukaku. I didn't think it was going to be, and I didn't want it to be. I love right. watching him play, and I really enjoyed watching Chelsea play at the start of the season. And then that all sort of stopped. And for the amount of money that Chelsea paid for Lukaku, I, I think he's got to be pretty high up on this list. What, why do we all feel bad about that? Yeah. Because like, like, I, no, I have no interest in Lukaku or no like real affinity for him. But Ryan, when you were like, Taylor, I'm sorry to say... For a moment, I was like, why? It's not like he's Man United. And then I thought about it. I was like, no, I, I know what you mean. Like, I feel sad that I'm saying this too. And Joe feels that his way. I don't know why we all feel that way. Is it, is it Taylor because we know what he can be? And we've seen what he was, was with Inter. And we know how he can be deployed effectively. But it just seems like there is a, uh, an, uh, you know, him being misused in some way. And, it, and that evokes sympathy somehow, Taylor. Yeah, I think it's that. I think that's a great, that's a great like, large percentage of it. I think there's also a smaller percentage of... Just like it's not it's not his fault Chelsea paid what they paid. <laughs> like like so I think sometimes it's unfair even it with that price tag and we do then put the expectations on that player of you know what they paid for you, you better perform. I think that was a little bit a little bit ludicrous in the moment for them to spend that amount of money on a player that they had already let go. So to bring him back it sort of felt like it was putting him in this very bad position of you have massive expectations and it hasn't worked previously and it didn't work with the other big club who signed you in England. But we're going to try to find a make, way to make it work. Just try not to give any interviews in which you say anything nice about your former club. Otherwise, we're uh, throwing you under that bus pretty hard pretty quickly. Indeed. Uh, I think that's the answer there, Lukaku, for this category. But one other player I'll give an honourable mention to is uh, someone I feel less sympathy for, Junior Firpo at Leeds, (laughs) who kind of never settled, got a bit injured, didn't really adapt very well, and who I thought was rubbish at Barcelona. And I was surprised that he went to Leeds. Did you see his, like, yellow card statistics? Uh, He got a lot, I imagine. I I, got to try to find this really quickly, because I need to know how many appearances he made this season just so I know for sure. But I think it was something ridiculous, like for the number of appearances. If he had like 11 appearances for lead, uh, leads, it was he had like 14 yellow cards or like 11 starts, 14 yellows. Like he got so many cards this season yeah. and did not really perform for them and was probably part of some of their uh, erratic form overall. Uh, Ryan, that's a great chat. I believe that Leeds broke the record for yellow cards this season. So he may have been a key contributor to that statistic, Taylor. Yikes. So, uh, <laughs> Indeed. Bikes. All right, uh, that it leaves us with one final category to come to, the biggest managerial mistake. Mm-hmm. And that is uh, maybe a hiring that shouldn't have happened. That's maybe a firing that shouldn't have happened. Maybe and a mistake in a game. What have we got here, Taylor? A couple ones. Uh, I would have had Rafa Benitez being fired on this list, except that Everton did stay up. So who knows if Frank Lampard will find a way to make things right, but I, I guess we can't say for sure that Rafa Benitez would have turned things around, so uh, he is not on my short list. Mark Van Bommel certainly is. That was not a good hiring, and it did not work out, but the biggest one, I already mentioned him, and the reason why I think this category exists, because uh, I think I'm the one who added it, is Rafa Um And I want to spend a moment here, because I... I'm confused by this one because I fully felt like the Rangnick hiring made a lot of sense, both in terms of you're bringing in a coach who doesn't have a ton of managerial experience, but has that background in developing players and creating systems and helping teams sort of become more modern and capable of playing a unified style. And I fully believed, and I feel like was reported, so it wasn't just me making this up, that it was going to be... Rangnick comes in, sees out the season, and sort of uses these six months as an opportunity to evaluate players, see who's coachable, who will adapt to the system, who can play in a high-pressure, high-intensity tactical setup. And then you kind of have him move into a more advisory role, uh, and then you have a manager come in who reflects Ragnick's values. They work together, and now you've got a manager who's sticking with the players that Ragnick has evaluated and found worked well. Uh, but then bringing in some of his own players. You've got Ragnick sort of overseeing that, but also helping with youth development. It all felt like it made sense. 
And for it now to be the case that Rognick wasn't really consulted or consulted at all in the hiring of Eric Ten Hag, isn't going to be doing anything in that two-year uh, consultancy gig, which means basically he just wanted more money or he wanted m- more oversight. And Manchester United said, well, how about this thing? And then they're just willing to pay him off means that there wasn't this kind of cohesion in the approach. It was just, we need someone to see the season out. Maybe this guy can do it. And so then that changes the way this season went, that if you're looking at it, I promise I will get to my final point here in a moment. Uh, If you're looking at it as like, okay, so yeah, they're underperforming, but they kind of wrote off the season and now it's about player identification and evaluation and building towards next season. Okay. But when it's clearly not anymore, instead it's just like, oh no, it was just a terrible season where the players hated the manager. The manager seemed to hate the players. The players seemed to not enjoy playing for the club. The fans didn't really love the players or the manager. Nothing seems to have moved in a successful direction. So that seems to have been the biggest mistake that I can think of this season. So much Man United in this award ceremony, almost as much as Villarreal, frankly, but uh, (laughs) completely warranted. I went to bat for Ralph Rangnick. I remember um, talking to several people about what a genius appointment it was. It's the second time United let me down this season. Not, you know, I I bet, as we have mentioned on the show, I bet on them to win the Premier League when they made, you know, when they brought in Sancho and Ronaldo and uh, and Rafael Varane. And I look back, the Guardian predicted Man United would finish second and run um, Man City very close for the title in their preseason predictions. So I wasn't the only one who was that cray-cray. But that was just another thing where, you know, it looked like a fantastic investment in their future, Ralph Rennick coming in. And then just to bid him off a few weeks, uh, what was it, last week? Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Not great. Not great. Joe, uh, I think we may have a strong candidate there. Do you have anyone else to bring to the table? Only other two nominations, Nuno at Tottenham. I never really felt like that appointment made a ton of sense, and he was fired just 10 games into the season. That was way back in November. Again, it didn't feel like it was going to work, and it didn't. Maybe it would have if there was more time, but somebody made a mistake there along the way. I don't know who it was, but somebody did. And then the only other one is Jesse Marsh at RB Leipzig. I I, I was high on that appointment at the time, and as we learned later, it just wasn't working for a few different reasons. The players didn't really want to play that way, and I'm confused sort of as to why he was appointed at all. You know what you're getting with Jesse Marsh. You're getting a very classically Red Bull manager, and Leipzig's players wanted to be something more than that, which is fine. But I don't understand why you make that higher in the first place if you're going to move on so quickly and not really give 100% to that experiment. So again, I don't really know where the blame falls in those situations, uh, but I do think there are mistakes made with Tottenham and Leipzig with Nuno and Jesse Marsh. Either way, though, just for the sake of this episode, we got to give it to Ralph Rangnick. I think we do. Those are great nominations, though, Joe. I'm interested in what you think for Jesse Marsh for next season. I, I think he's going to do well at Leeds. I don't know. There, there's a talent differential, right, between Leeds and a lot of the top teams in the league, and they're they're probably going to try to close that gap a little bit. Already bringing in Brendan Aronson, I think, is a good step. There, there have been reports that they're looking for some other U.S. national team players. I'm certain they'll make a couple of other moves at some point over the summer. I think they're going to be a lot better than this season. They'll be a lot more stable, that's for sure. I don't know if they're going to be mid-table. I don't know if there's a chance they push for maybe the Europa Conference League. That feels like a pretty big jump up from where they finished this season. But I do think they will be much more stable, maybe slightly more boring. But after how utterly insane things were under Bielsa to start the year, I do not think that's a bad thing. Wow. Well, we'll keep the powder dry on those predictions for next season for our dumb preseason predictions coming up in (laughs) a few weeks. Yeah, I think that pretty much um, finishes up our awards ceremony. Taylor, how do you think it went? I think it went really well right up until the end when you said that we're going to be doing our Premier League predictions in a few weeks. And though I know you're slightly exaggerating, you're also kind of not, which is (laughs) terrifying, terrifying, terrifying. It never ends, Taylor. You know that. It really doesn't. It really doesn't. All right. Thank you very much, Taylor Rockwell, for your nominations today and for your excellent company. (laughs) Right, Right back at you, buddy. Joe Lowry, same to you, sir. Wonderful times had at the ceremony today. Oh, right back at you, Ryan. Ooh, and sorry, that was for the other Joe. Uh, but oh, Joe, also really nice oh, to see you today, too. This is awkward. This, we sh- oh, this is so awkward. Oh, it was so mean. <laughs> we love you, really, Joe. Uh, listener, thank you very much indeed for sticking with us. We'll be back on the feed very shortly. Oh, but for now, bye. <laughs> Slash it!